Hey friend, it's Chrissy here from Real Life Shh. If you have a loved one who has been labeled as a troubled teen, and I use quotation marks with that, or you yourself has been labeled as a troubled teen, first of all, let's smash that ridiculous term. There are no troubled teens. There are teenagers, kids, who are our children that deserve love and support. So if you have loved ones who are younger than 25, this episode is for you. And it is so very important. Please listen up as you could be the person our kids are looking for. And child, if this sounds like you, please listen and know you are not alone. So this is how smoking pot landed me in juvie jail. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so this takes place in the late 90s. And again, in that small town I spoke of in episode one. So if you will imagine me as a 13-year-old in my room with some friends, all sitting in a circle wearing flannels and Stussy shirts, token up. Yeah, that was me. The scene is very similar to any episode you would see in that 90s show. I realize that for some, 13 years old, that does seem pretty young to be partaking in smoking pot. But however, I'll say it again, I lived in a very small town with not a lot to do. So I'd say the majority of us would pass time with smoking cigarettes, pot, and sneaking our parents' alcohol. Not all of us, but probably most of us. I was just the careless one who would always get caught. I guess I started smoking pot um, primarily per usual, wanting to fit in feelings, seeking connection and friendship. And obviously, I was trying to escape the dreaded painful awkward phase of going from preteen to teen. My mom at the time was working three jobs, so she wasn't home for the majority of the time. She was working her ass off just trying to put gas in the car and food on our table. Because she was working so hard and barely home, this definitely shook the stability and security that every 13-year-old needs during this very confusing time. And as you'll learn in episode four, I've always had a strong relationship with God. However, anyone who has a teenager or who has been a teenager knows how hard these transitional years can be. So I decided to dabble in what most other teenagers dabble in as well. One night when my mom was working her second job, I had my friends over which I was ecstatic about. I was ecstatic that I even had friends to invite over. And after we got super duper, 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 duper high, like bloodshot eyes, cloud of smoke high, in walks my mom. Oopsie daisy. Obviously, I wanted to look cool in front of my friends, so I quickly hid everything. And I think I told my mom that I was crying about something when she asked me about my red eyes. And Then I blamed the smell on the incense that was burning. Obviously, she knew what was really going on and sent my friends off. And then I believe it was the next week that she drove me to an outpatient drug treatment. Yeah, it was pretty shocking to me as well. However, I do want to give you some backstory. My dad was a loving, tender, supportive father who struggled with alcoholism ever since my mom left him when I was about five years old. So my mom's fear was that I too would become addicted to substance. It 
also didn't help that earlier in the same year, I went out and got drunk for the first time with some boys in high school, like really drunk, like really, really, really drunk, so drunk that I actually had to be admitted to the hospital for severe dehydration. But that story's for another episode. Okay, so I'll tell you though this. The thought of Jack Daniels and Sunny D ugh, makes me shiver to this day. Ugh. So anyways, there I was in a different circle now, a circle of teenagers and one drug counselor, all sitting bitterly in folding chairs in a cold hospital-lighted room with gray carpet that I think had an 80s pattern on it. I think I remember the carpet most likely because I was looking down a lot. Anyways, we all go around the circle and everyone introduces themselves. Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict or an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying. When it was my turn, I think I might have even said that I was an addict because everyone else was saying it, even though at the time I had only smoked pot. Thankfully, the counselor challenged me on that. But before he did, I remember the shock in his face when he looked up to see me as a little 13-year-old at an outpatient drug treatment. Don't get me wrong, the room was full of teenagers, with the exception of the drug counselor, but I was by far the youngest one. Most of the kids in the room were like 16 or 17. And the next line that he said to me is how I got my first nickname. He said, what the heck are you doing in here, you little peanut? And what in the world have you been doing to land yourself here? So after I explained what had happened, he literally laughed. Because indeed, it was kind of a joke that I somehow landed myself in drug treatment from smoking a little pot. However, I understand. I really do. I understand why my mom did it. And this is something we all need to understand about our, our beloved parents. It's that they really were doing their best, the best that they could do with the resources that they had. My mom, she came from a very conservative family. And that was also during the era where the drug campaign, campaign Just Say No, came out and pot was labeled as a gateway drug. I don't know if any of you remember the, the this is an egg and this is your brain, and then this is your brain on drugs, and they crack it in a frying pan. So that was the message that was my mom was receiving about pot. Anyways, my mom, she was also exhausted from working overtime on top of overtime, and she also made the decision to, to leave my dad and move to a completely different state without any support from family or friends to help her or even advise her. So she reached out for help the best way that she knew how. What she didn't know was that this decision would expose me to a whole new world of drugs and alcohol consumption. Obviously, at the young age of 13, I was still developing, still trying to kind of figure out who I was and what I was about. So when I was labeled, as a potential drug addict or alcoholic at such a young age, what I heard in my own young monkey mind, even though that she never said this, was that I was a bad seed, a troublemaker, a troubled teen who was always getting into trouble. Well, what happened was I lived up to that label and I thought to myself, what's the point of even trying? They all 
already think that I'm doing drugs and when in reality I was only smoking pot, so I might as well do drugs. So I did drugs, real drugs. During my days in the outpatient treatment, I learned that mostly my peers that were, the peers that were there were partaking in other drugs in addition to pot. Like I said, most of them were older than me. Some were partaking in Coke, acid, shrooms, crank, which at that time was very, very popular and problematic in the small Midwestern town that I lived in. So just so you know, I didn't dive into all these new drugs all at once. It actually took me a few years later to partake. Until then, I was just kind of learning and networking with new friends who had a lot in common. It's that we all really liked pot. (laughs) And I would say most everyone I met in that group, I either drank with or I smoked with. So, oof. Oopsie daisy, mama. If my mom's objective was to get me clean and sober, that was a big, big fail because it only exposed me to more. Okay, so stay tuned after the break. I'll share with you more details about this pivotal time in my young life. Hey, fellow light holders, if you like what you're hearing or can relate to these very important episodes on Real Life Shh with Chrissy, please do me a solid and like, subscribe, and share with your friends so we can spread the love of divine connection. Welcome back to Real Life Shh with Chrissy. Okay, so let's switch scenes to a few years later when I was 16. For some reason, we didn't have school that day and it was like a three-day weekend or maybe the school was closed for a teacher's conference preparation or something like that, who knows. So what I do, I take my Toyota Corolla (laughs) over to a friend's house where the party was. I consume like every other kid there, but I stupidly, idiotically got back into my car and drove home. I actually don't remember who was in the car with me, but there was a joint being passed around and I, I got pulled over. The passenger put the joint out and left it on the floor of my car. The other kids... They got to go home, but I got arrested for zero tolerance. It didn't look good for me, considering the week before, my mom was out of town and I threw a kegger at our house and I still had garbage bags of empty beer cans in my trunk. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So stupid. So then that's where things got really tricky because I was a minor. I was arrested for zero tolerance. And I was put into the state system. My mom, she no longer had legal rights for me. However, I honestly think that she was actually relieved. Because like I said, she was was just exhausted. She didn't know how to parent me. So I was taken to juvenile hall detention where I wore an orange jumpsuit. And I was locked, yes, locked in a cell with a bed and a toilet. No joke. It was a jail cell for kids. Now shit was getting real. When we were let out of our cells, it was literally how you imagine, how you've probably seen on all the TV shows. Just instead of adults, we were young kids. There were gangbangers, kids in there for car theft, breaking in and robbery, breaking in an entry, robbery, assault, and battery, 
you know, the same kind of convictions as adults would have to land them in jail, but we were kids. So there I was. I was there for about a week, maybe a week and a half before my court date. At my court date hearing, I was sentenced to several community hours, a year of probation, and that's when I was admitted to an inpatient drug and alcohol treatment. This for me was my real downfall. And this is when my life really changed. I want you to try to imagine. Imagine yourself being ripped away from what's familiar. Your school, your friends, the comfort of your own home, your own room, your own bed, your your family. That's what happened to me. It was It was freaking devastating for me. I also remember, and may I remind you, I was 16. I was a crazy hormonal mess, crazy confused about life in general. And I felt like I was like, I was like an ingredient in a shaker being vigorously shook up. It was, it was crazy town for me. When I was there though, I did see some familiar faces in the inpatient drug treatment, which I guess was nice. But I'll tell you this before, in the outpatient drug treatment and alcohol treatment, it was definitely more of a relaxed setting, more welcoming, and (laughs) this was not the case anymore. In the inpatient program, you weren't allowed to have any privileges unless you admitted that you were an addict and or alcoholic, even if you didn't believe it. And it took me a while to understand this trend, and I fought it for a few weeks because it wasn't true. I, I wasn't an addict or an alcoholic. I didn't think that way. So I was basically doing things that most teenagers my age were doing, yet I was the one who got caught. During my time there, I did regrettably, I regrettably threw my sister under the bus during one of the dreaded family meetings where we would all sit in a circle, kind of intervention style, and talk about how terrible we were as kids. I was upset that my sister did all the same things I did, but just because I got caught, I was getting severely punished. So like I said, it took me a few weeks to realize all I had to do was play the game and say, hi, I'm Chrissy and I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. Then all of a sudden, they thought I had a breakthrough. I spent another three or four weeks there, including Christmas, and that was terrible. How depressing, huh? I'll tell you this. I completely faked my way through just to get out of that fucking place. It it was a fucking joke. I'm sorry. Part of my French. It was. Maybe it worked for others. It wasn't working for me. It was a game And I played my way out. When I returned to school, I felt like I was getting kicked while I was already down. Rumors were now flying around in my small town. I was now labeled a druggie and a narc. And that's not a good name to go by, trust me. Because I was arrested, everyone assumed that I gave a list of names over to the cops. Nope, not true. But let me tell you what did happen. In order for me to be released from the drug treatment, my mom 
insisted that I write down names of who I smoked pot with. So she knew who not to let me hang out with again. So I did. I wrote down the people that she already knew about, who I couldn't deny because it was very obvious to her based on the fact that my eyes would always be like bloodshot red after hanging out with them. And I also wrote down the people that had already been in the same drug treatment. I was, I was stupid at the time. I had no idea what my mom was actually doing. I don't know what she did with it. I knew that my mom was lying to me about the use of this list and I really don't know what she did with it. But when I got back to the school, I got into more than one physical fight over it because I had to defend myself all the time. A girl one time literally hit me over the head with a padlock in the locker room. I even had to get stitches. But don't feel bad for me. I held my own pretty well up until the padlock came out. Anyways, so I'm back at home, but now I'm in high school hell. My One day, my best friend, her birthday came up, and I wanted to celebrate with her by going to a movie. Pretty innocent stuff. I just really wanted like to have a normal day for a change, so I went with her, which was, unfortunately, against my probation. My mom, she called my probation officer when I got home. I was arrested. This time, the punishment was way harsher. I was sent to a group home, and then I didn't return home until the next year. That was when I pretty much just, I let everything go. I was very suicidal. And then when I did come back home, when I was able to come home, that's when I experimented with other drugs. My life was a roller coaster. When I would come back home, I would do the best I could do in order to stay in my own home. But the conditions were so harsh for me to be absolutely freaking perfect. It was an impossible task for me. I would get my grades back up. I was involved in extracurriculum activities. I would do my best to come home when I was supposed to by 9 p.m., which is kind of unrealistic for a teenager. Let's be real. And then I would try not to lose my temper, even though I was dealing with an extreme amount of stress at school with no real support system at home because my mom was tired. She was tired from working three jobs. But the littlest slip up would land me back into the group home setting. I was, I was angry. I was so angry. And obviously underneath the anger, I was hurt. I had an overwhelming feeling of rejection. Like I am only able to live at home and go to school if I'm 100% perfect 100% of the time. Yeah, it was pretty much a shit show. So how did I walk through this hell? and get to the other side as a pretty respectable adult, right? Because the fact is, did you know, 40% of juvenile detention kids end up being imprisoned by the age of 25. Kids that are sent to juvie hall are like 23, they're 23% more likely to be incarcerated as an adult in comparison to the kids who had a more lenient judge 
and only got off with community service and avoided juvenile hall detention in the first place. So am I lucky? Do I have like angels or something? How did I end up how I am with such a colorful history? I say colorful with quotation marks because that's what one therapist used to describe my past. Okay, so to answer that question, am I lucky? Do I have angels? I, I say yes, yes, and yes. I have angels for sure. And more importantly, I was able to see the silver lining while I was in this whole mix. I wrote poetry. I discovered my love of writing. I let my feelings out on paper. I created, I really did. I created beautiful poetry. I even got to read a couple of my poems on TV. I also met some really amazing, beautiful, beautiful, soulful women. One in particular saw the light in me and she gifted me a telescope saying that I could see and I can go to the stars if that is what I wished for. And the only person or thing that was in my way was yours truly, myself. And most importantly, even though I really, really sucked while I was accumulating these tools, I received such important tools and life skills and emotional health that I'm able to use to this day and that I can also give to my children and my husband and my friends and whoever really wants to receive it. One of the most important things that I took from this whole experience of being in and out of juvie, group homes, drug treatments, was that I was, I was able to have at least weekly counseling sessions, right? Which is so important because that's where I discovered I had old trauma wounds of being sexually molested, my mom leaving my dad and me at such a young age, watching one of my young friends die in front of my own eyes, my eyes. I, I was very young and I watched a girl die and much, 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 much more trauma. <laughs> I, I thank God. I thank the divine for matching me with some of these people who guided me through all that trauma. I was able to let my shadow out. And I learned that I'm able to have a conversation about those wounds. And through the conversation, through revisiting my past voids, that is where the magic happens, right? Of healing, of releasing in order to create more space. There are many of children and teens and grown-ass adults who are suffering in silence, and that's what I was doing. I was trying to mend my wounds with pot and alcohol and anger. And I never would have realized I had old wounds that were still opened if I wasn't sent to outpatient drug treatment, to juvie hall, to inpatient drug treatment, and to all those group homes. So a lot of people, a lot of people, including myself, they don't agree with how my mom handled me smoking pot. However, as painful as this trauma was for me, I definitely wonder 
where I would be now without it, without that experience. I am the rare person who is not afraid to talk about their past and their trauma and all the icky gross stuff that comes with it because because I 100% understand when you don't or when you do so, when you're able to see it for what it is and then give it over to the divine, that is when you regain your power. That is when you get the strength and the experience, the emotional like workout to build you into an unwavering force who cannot be pushed back down again. I'm thankful that I went through this shit at such a young age because now I, I can stand tall knowing what I've been through, knowing that nothing is going to hold me down. When people learn this piece of history about me, their general reaction is, well, shock, because I don't look like I fit the part. I'm a white chick with blonde hair and green eyes. So another lesson or moral of this story is a familiar one. Don't judge a book by its cover. You really never know what someone else's story might be. So my friends, please be graceful with each other. And if you're so intrigued to wonder, stop, I'm sorry. Stop. Uh, if you're so intrigued to wonder, to, if you're so intrigued to why another, maybe, there we go. Okay. Can I start at end? If you're, okay. And if you're so intrigued to why another may be so angry or bitter or if there's like a kid in your life who's acting out, maybe investigate with love before acting. Because you, you could be the person that they've been looking for to open up to. And if you're curious and wondering, so is like she like a, an alcoholic or an addict or something? My answer to you is no, I'm not. Like many others, I was looking for something to ease my pain. All I needed were the right tools and the right source. And I'll give you a little hint. While many of these tools are here on this earth ready for you, this the most important one that is readily available at your fingertips within your breath at any time is the connection that you possess with the divine. Amen. If you are lost or if you know someone who is lost, if your story sounds like mine or you know somebody who might relate, know that you are not, you're not alone. Not ever, ever, ever. And you are so loved and supported. I love you. I love you. You are not meant to fight alone because you're not alone, my friend. Let us help you and hold you in this time of struggle. Let us lift you up and be seen and heard and understood. No, you need to know 
You are worth the hard work, the shadow work. And remember, remember, there is no light without shadow. And so it is. Mm-hmm.